Here's Pastor Ed with a brief preview of today's edition of Voice of Faith. But it's possible to go and grow up in church and trust in your good works, your church attendance, your giving, your Bible reading, and all of those things are good things to do. But you begin to base your relationship with God on the standing of those things rather than the cross. Pastor Red makes a precarious statement here. Christians, people who are very aware of Jesus' salvation being the only way to eternal life, can start to rely on works to get points with Jesus. How is this possible? Today's message helps us to see that we can get comfortable in our walk with God and sometimes try to turn the attention away from Him and onto ourselves. The Apostle Paul reminds us of how much greater Jesus' sacrifice was than anything we could ever do. Now here's Pastor Ed in the book of Philippians chapter 3 verse 4 with his continuing study entitled, Rejoicing in the Lord. The way Paul goes about arguing at this moment, it sounds like he's arguing to perhaps converts to Judaism who converted to Christianity. Or perhaps Gentiles who had converted to Christianity and then embraced Judaism and now were infiltrating the church at Philippi. The reason I say that is because As Paul argues, he begins arguing his heritage. He says, I have more reason to be confident than they do. Watch him as he talks about his natural advantages, the advantages that birth gave him. In verse 5, he says, circumcised on the eighth day. That was in its strict observance to Abraham and the covenant that God made with Abraham. What he was saying was, His parents followed Old Testament law. They were Jewish, and they circumcised him on the eighth day. Paul was saying he is an insider. He wasn't somebody who was converted into Judaism, but he was Jewish way back throughout his heritage, and his parents strictly followed the law. He was no late-life convert. And then he says, the people of Israel... That's another way of saying that he was pure Jewish. He was a pure Israelite. Uh, We might say that person's a blue blood. Well, he could trace his ancestry back one generation after another after another. Uh, He was no proselyte from paganism. He was really an insider from birth. Uh, Then the people of Israel. Look at the term, the people of Israel in the text. What he's again saying... He was pure. Then the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the only one of Jacob's sons that was born in the promised land. When Solomon died and the kingdom of Israel split between the southern and the northern part, Benjamin remained faithful to the house of David and was included in the lot of land. Uh, The very first king came from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul, and and Paul's was named after Saul. So he looked at his spiritual lineage and said, I am a Benjamite. And then he says, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. 
What that is saying is, even though he was born outside of Jerusalem, he never lost the mother tongue. He could speak Hebrew, read Hebrew, and pray Hebrew. He knew Aramaic and he knew Greek. He knew the various languages, but he was a Hebrew of the Hebrew. Now, all of these things were things that were given to him by birth. And so he's going to add to that list his accomplishments. He says, in regards to the law, a Pharisee. There were about 6,000 Pharisees, Josephus tells us, at the time of Christ. They were lay people who studied the word. They were the most respected group of people in the nation. And he made a choice to be a Pharisee. That meant separated ones. He separated himself to follow the Old Testament, to follow the law of God. And it, it goes beyond that. As he looks at these personal achievements, it says that as for zeal, persecuting the church. He was zealous. He wanted to stamp out any heresy, anything that in any way would distort the truth of Scripture. He was zealous. And then he says, righteous and blameless. He said, for legalistic righteousness, faultless. What he's saying there is, the Old Testament took the Ten Commandments, and these Pharisees made 613 laws out of the Ten Commandments. Paul was faultless. He observed them to a T. He crossed his T's. He dotted his I's. He did everything. You know... Paul had reason to think, I've done it. He was, I mean, super religious. He was a high achiever. Our children learn from childhood that they need to be achievers. They're taught that. You know, you could be in the early grades and you learn if you get the best marks, you'll be the teacher's favorite. If you're first in the race, you'll be picked on the sports team, if you're the most athletic. And, and, and we grow up with this idea of success means praise and favor and honor. And we transfer that into the spiritual realm. And there in the spiritual realm, we think, if I could work harder than so-and-so, and if I could give more and be more faithful than so-and-so, I'm going to have favor with God. Well, that's not how the kingdom works. I remember as a, as a young person growing up in the Catholic Church and witnessing to someone who was sharing the gospel with me on Nostrand Avenue. I was waiting for a bus. They came up and shared a gospel track, and they began to tell me, and they said, oh, no, I said, I'm a good Catholic. What I had done is I had gone to communion. I had taken my confirmation. I went to confession regularly. And even when I didn't know I did anything wrong, I would make up sins because I figured I must do something wrong. And so I'd estimate. Uh, but I mean, I went to Catholic school, I studied the catechism, and they even made me a patrol guard, you know, so I was watching the streets. So I felt, listen, I, I've done this thing here. The danger is, I began to trust and believe that I did certain things and that would give me favor with God as a Catholic, and you know, especially, and I'm not trying to put down any particular church, but there were so many things, at least for me, that distracted me 
and turn my eyes off of Jesus onto other things and you, and you miss the truth of the gospel that's there. And I didn't know the Lord. But you know, the same thing can happen in the assemblies of God. Here in our church, roll back the decades, go into the 70s, and in our youth group, one of the young people stood up and gave a testimony that shocked some of the young people that were attending. One of the young people that was attending was newly saved, and he looked with admiration on this one particular young man. His father was a deacon. His mother was involved in church, and this young man was involved in church, and they were faithful. In fact, one time when they had a terrible snowstorm, they were one of the few families that came out and they had picked this young man up who was recently saved and he was amazed at this family and he was amazed at his friend because they were there when no one else was at the church and Pastor Damiani had said, listen, we're not going to have service today. There's been a terrible snowstorm and so we're not having service. But this young man was on the very first Bible quiz team that they had and he had memorized the scriptures and he knew the word of God well and he was involved as involved could be but one youth meeting he stood up and gave a testimony he said you know I've come to discover Abba Father I never saw God as Abba I always saw him as a taskmaster or someone who required these things of me and he said I've just gotten saved and wow it's wonderful it's possible I know that shocks you but it's possible to go and grow up in church and trust in your good works your church attendance your giving your Bible reading and all of those things are good things to do but you begin to base your relationship with God on the standing of those things rather than the cross. I often go back to John Wesley, one of my favorite characters in, or men in church history. John Wesley came from a Christian home, and I mean a Christian home. His father was a minister, and his grandfather was a minister in the Anglican Church, and his great-grandfather was a minister in the Anglican Church. And on his mother's side, her father, and I believe her grandfather, were ministers, and they were dissenters. In other words, they weren't with the Anglican Church. They were more outside the church, but yet they were ministers. John Wesley went to Oxford and started the Holy Club because he wanted people to read the Bible and pray and live a holy life. And then he came to America, to Georgia, to work with the Indians, to convert them. And he was unsuccessful with that. And going back across the Atlantic to England, they came into a terrible storm. And some people had an uncanny sense of peace when everybody was in fear of losing their life. And, and Wesley was afraid. And he began to talk to these Christians who were called Moravian Brethren and they began to share with him about the new birth and at that moment Wesley began to realize that something was missing in his life and when he got back to England he went to a church where they were reading the preface to a commentary on the book of Romans and on at Aldersgate 
and he realized that it's faith in Christ, not his heritage, not his prayers, and in his own diary, he talks about being converted at that moment. Today, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people gathered together worshiping God on a Sunday morning. And some of them are preaching in pulpits, singing in choirs, sitting in pews, but they don't know Jesus. It takes a personal relationship with God. Faith in Him. You have a constant danger that you're going to have to battle with from here to the grave. That battle is trusting in your good works. Trusting in your church attendance. Trusting in things that you do and things that you haven't done. Paul was very concerned that you had to give up to gain. Are there things that you're trusting in, in terms of your relationship with God? Well, Paul talks about the change that transpired in him. We'll look at the biblical text as we look at the biblical text, we see what he, how he gains Christ's righteousness. How he gains the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to skip the one verse of text. I'll make reference to it. Uh, in Matthew 5, 48, it says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. If we were trying to win acceptance in God's sight... We could never do it because no one could live a perfect life. Imagine with me just for a moment, just for a moment, that you buy your children a Monopoly game. And they start playing, and they're winners. And they have the $1,000 bills, and the $10,000 bills, and the $100,000 bills. And, and they decide they want to get you a Christmas present for Christmas. And they go down to the local car dealership and they say this new car only costs forty thousand dollars here's forty thousand dollars and the dealership looks at them and says this is not real money this is monopoly money no no no. here's the money I want to give you I want it fair and square no we don't use that currency that's the same way with our righteousness It's not used in heaven. The only currency is the righteousness of Christ. That's the only currency that heaven uses. If we come with our merits, our good works, our deeds, and say, God, you have to accept me now on the basis of my righteousness, it's like a child playing with a Monopoly game and taking that currency and say, I want to buy this. It's not accepted. It's not real currency. The only thing that counts is what Jesus did on Calvary. And when we go to the Father and say, He paid it all, then it's accepted. Gaining Christ's righteousness. And I'm going to quickly go through this point. One, renouncing the old dependence. Notice this. For whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. I mean, What he had to do is all of these things, his 
years as a Pharisee, his uh, training in keeping the law in its minute detail, those 613 rules that they sort of gathered out of the Ten Commandments, his speaking the Hebrew language, his zeal, all of those things, if they all were in the credit column, he takes it and he puts it all in the debit column. Why? Because all of those things hindered him in his relationship with God. All of those things kept him back from relating to God in the way he should. And so he said, I, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now I think about the incredible change that took place. When did this change take place? It took place on the Damascus Road when he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And the Lord came and changed him. And he realized that he had been fighting against God. And he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And he never stopped asking that question all through his life. He said, Lord, what will you have me to do? Lord, what will you have me to do? That's what we should do when we make him Savior and Lord. And Paul said, I don't look at those things the way I used to look at them. Uh, watch and listen to his words as he embraces a new dependence. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This is the first time he uses this term, and I believe the only time he uses it. Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, for whose sake I've lost all things. I think Paul was referring to a number of things when he says all things. When he accepted Christ, all those friends he had as he went through the school of Gamaliel, he lost them. All the inheritance that would have been his passed down from one generation to another generation to another generation, he lost. They never invited him back to speak as an alumnus at the school of Gamaliel. He was never honored as one of the class successes. He was rejected. He lost his standing within the community. He lost his relationship to his family. He lost. And there are people who when they come to Jesus Christ experience that type of loss. Perhaps in Paul's family, they sat and shiver. They had a funeral service. They counted him as dead because he followed Christ. Sometimes following Christ will cost you friends, relationships. But he said, I've gained Christ. And that's what's most important. He says, for whose sake I've lost all things. Now I consider when he's thinking about his accomplishments and he's thinking about all the things, I count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. Uh, it's stronger in the Greek. It's very difficult to translate. One commentator uses the term dung, rubbish, refuge. He looks and he says, not that those things weren't good things, but in comparison to having Christ, in comparison to knowing him, they're just rubbish. They're nothing. He was willing and more than willing to give them up. He says that I might gain Christ. Verse 11 in the Bible text is so powerful, and I, I want to close with that. 
And so, somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. What Paul is picturing here is a day of judgment. When he stands before Almighty God, and God says to him, why should I accept you? If you read the text, and what he's saying, I don't want to stand in my own righteousness, he's saying, and somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. And if you look, a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I don't want my own righteousness when I stand before God. I want His righteousness. The great temptation with time in the church is to begin to trust in the offering statements we've given over the years or the attendance records we have or the things that we have done. It's a temptation for you, for me. And we have to constantly go back to the one thing that brought us into the kingdom, the one thing that made us acceptable to the Father, the blood of Jesus Christ, His cross, His salvation. That's the only means of salvation. No other way. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. And so for you and I, there has to be this attitude of coming with utter dependence on the righteousness of Christ. As I bring the message now to a close, I ask you, will you come back to the fundamentals, to the ABCs, to the simple gospel of Jesus Christ? God accepts you not on the basis of what you've done or what you haven't done, but on the basis of what he has done. He paid it all. He did it all. You've got to give up your own righteousness to gain his righteousness. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't do good works because you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But it is to say, don't trust in them. Don't mistake your good works as the basis on which God accepts you. It's simply the blood of Christ. Paul said, I never get tired of telling you these things. And he said, I want to stand in that day and attain to that resurrection. When he was saying that, I hear an echo in the background of holy fear. He knew the propensity of men to trust in themselves. He had been there, done that. And he didn't want to go back and do that. This morning, God accepts you with a full welcome and pardon, not because of what you've done or haven't done, because he paid it all and did it all. So don't bring your ledger to him. Don't start recording all the things that you do and say, okay, God, now I know that high achievers receive the praise and accolades of men. But God praises and receives because of what Jesus did for you. He sees you through the blood of his son. He embraces and accepts you because of his work. On that work you stand, on that work you stand alone. All of the ground is sinking sand. 
Commonly called the Book of Joy, Philippians is a powerful book to Christians. This book exhorts us to have joy in the midst of trying times, to be united as Christians by our head, Jesus Christ, and to be people with testimonies in our communities that are known to be honorable. Each day here on Voice of Faith, Pastor Ed will be teaching verse by verse through the book of Philippians. This 19-part series will certainly encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Perhaps today's message sparked a thought in your mind, an area in your walk with Jesus where you need to grow. We encourage you to download today's message again to review. Simply log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and select today's date from the Voice of Faith media player. Again, that's voiceoffaithradio.com. Now, we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For driving directions and more information, log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Voice of Faith with Dr. Ed Jones. We invite you to join us as Pastor Ed continues teaching through the book of Philippians right here on Voice of Faith.